and welcome to a Final Four edition of the Eye on the U podcast. I'm David Wilson, and I am joined on the other line. Now, kind of as always, it's been a whole bunch of weeks in a row by Michelle Kaufman, our <laughs> Miami basketball beat writer here at the Herald Live from Houston. Uh, Michelle, it, it let's start with this. You've covered Miami basketball for a long time. Do you ever expect you to be covering a Final Four? No, no, I can honestly say no. I've been covering the team for 26 years. I've been a beat writer for 26 years. Um, and before that, I went to UM in 1985 when they resurrected the right, program. Right, that was the first year they came back, right? Yeah, I wrote yeah. I wrote a story for the school paper that they were bringing basketball back to the University of Miami. And, and I was a student there at that time. So I have seen this program since 1985. And no, I never expected. I mean, even when they made the Elite Eight last year, I mean, the thought of University of Miami in the Final Four is it's still... You know, it's still a concept that's hard to uh, it's hard to imagine, but it's really happened. It's I was there today and they're here. So it's it's real. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know if we need to get I mean, I want to talk obviously a little bit about just the combination of South Florida college basketball with Miami and FAU uh, as we go along here at some point, maybe next week, no matter what happens um, or, or in the next couple of weeks, we should probably like kind of just dive into all the context. Like the fact that this school didn't have a basketball team. For 14 years. Yeah, for more than a decade um, is kind of crazy. And I, I think, obviously, that's become known here over, like, like nationally. But I, I think a lot of people, you know, my age who are not alive when Miami basketball didn't exist probably, like, don't quite realize that. It, it's pretty crazy. Like, it, 1985, it, it's a long time ago, but it's not that long ago. Like, there, you know. It's, no, it's not because I was really, there. Yeah, exactly. Like I think I'm still young and hip, and I was there yeah. in 1985. Right, like it's <laughs> it, it's it's pretty pretty incredible feat. Um, this team obviously, in some ways, it is out of nowhere. You know, they're a five seed, right? It's it's unlikely, and just again, all the history behind it. But in other ways, well, one obviously they were good all year long. They won the ACC. Um, I, I think. Both of us thought they were the best team in the. I know they didn't win the tournament, but I think both of us thought all year but they long. They would have. The I think if Norchad had, had not yeah. gotten injured, I think um, they would have maybe won the tournament. So and they, and then they, the other thing that I mean, I know they lost some really important guys from last year's team, but uh, it, it is like they were really kind of an extension of, of last year's team in a lot of ways. Obviously, Jordan Miller taking a leap, uh, Isaiah Wong, uh, obviously taking a leap as well. Couple key transfers. Of course, Nigel Pack really replicating. I think a lot of the Charlie Morris stuff. Very different player, but but filling that void. Um, this this two year run is pretty incredible from this team. Obviously, Jim Laranega yeah. has gotten a lot of the attention this year, but I, I wanted to start kind of with Wong and Miller because those guys at this point, and you know, like Cam Augusti, I think deserves a lot of credit too. Even though he's not part of this team, he was such an important part of the program in the the fallow years, sticking it out. Yes. Um, but those two guys in particular, Miller, I mean, Wong is kind of seems like a little quieter guy. Miller, maybe a little bit more of like a kind of uh, Joby. Like he's he's in some ways, like he's always got the smile, right? I think Yeah, yeah, and he loves to talk. He's the very ultimate outgoing. glue guy. Yeah. Just those two guys, what, what they've meant to this run. Uh, and I especially want to talk about Miller because of his performance in the Elite Eight. Um what what has made those two guys, you know, there've been a lot of really good players who've come through Miami basketball. What what do you think it is about those two that have been able to anchor this, this two year run? Yeah. I mean, I think first of all, they're so loyal, you know, like yeah. 
Isaiah stuck around when things yeah, were. Yeah, he really also bad. stuck out. The the yeah, Miller came Those in obviously years, as a transfer. Yeah, I yeah. mean Miller came in later, but Isaiah came when things were. I mean Isaiah stayed when things were really bad, and Chris likes left, and this one left, and you know, people were bailing, and he is so loyal and such a hardworking guy, and just he was deterred. He loved Miami, and he still does, and he may even come back again. Don't be surprised. He has one more year. <laughs> yeah, he has one more year. He loves this place. He 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 works harder than I mean, I was just at the send off the other day on Wednesday and the whole team, they had a little practice. They all went off the court. They're starting to get ready for their send off party. And Isaiah was still in the gym for about half an hour. He was the last one out. He was staying in there practicing his shot over and over and over from every spot. Um, you know, he's he's just really, really hardworking and dedicated and he has no ego whatsoever that's why when that whole nil thing came mm -hmm. out oh i want more money that just that was not him maybe it was someone speaking for him that was right. not him um he's really modest and humble and a real team player and jordan miller too i mean i think the main thing with this team is the way they share they just they do not care who scores they don't care who's yeah. the lead scorer they just want to win and they pass that ball around three four times a lot of times before someone has the best shot so you know, I think uh, Jordan Miller is extremely smart. We knew that right away, right when he came from George Mason, his interviews were great. And we just knew right away, like this guy has a certain charisma. He's a really good speaker. He's very smart. He understands the game. And, you know, he's become a huge, huge part of the team. He already was playing a big role last year with the putbacks. The big thing he was known mm -hmm. for was those little putbacks that he yeah. was doing. Yeah, because he was, I mean, like he still is playing power forward, basically, as a guy who, when he gets a shot in the NBA, he'll be like a, a shooting guard or a small forward, probably. Right, right. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a really been a good, good combination. They get along great. They complement each other. Um, they're very versatile. And, uh, you know, it's it's been it's been amazing to watch. And Isaiah coming back, I mean, that was a really big right. deal. That was where it started. That was huge. It all started when he announced that he's coming back. Everybody was like, oh, okay, Isaiah Wong's coming back. And then it energized everybody. Like, maybe we can carry on what we did last year. And, you know, Wooga Poplar has gotten much better. And Bensley Joseph is playing a big role. You know, Harlem Beverly's getting in there more. So a lot of the guys, Miami is one of only nine teams in the country that had no transfers last year. Mm -hmm. Nobody transferred from the team. One of only nine schools out of 300. So that, that, you know, there's a lot of stability there, even though they lost three players, everybody else who was on the team stayed. And then they added Norchad and, and um, Nigel. And, and it's amazing. I didn't yeah. expect them to make the final four, but when they started playing, it was pretty clear that they were pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all year long from, from day one, I think both of us had high hopes for this team. Um, mm -hmm. To me, the story of this run has, uh, there've been kind of two things. And one is, and Jordan Miller, I think, sums this up, is the way that kind of the role players, and Jordan Miller's better than a role player, but the guys who, not, the non-Isaiah Wong players, their improvement throughout this tournament alone, you know, obviously throughout the season, but but even in this tournament where Jordan Miller is the best player on the floor in um, an Elite Eight game, where Wuga Poplar has kind of become a star, um, who's, you know, what Dan Hurley's talking about him as an NBA prospect. Like at this point, I, I Anthony and I talked last night and, and obviously we, we talked some Miami basketball and like 
could Wuga Poplar go to the draft this year? It's like not crazy when you look at, at the draft that really falls off after the top five or six. Like he, he's, I mean, he the, the off the back pass, like he's got the whole package. Um, and Miami, which gets so much attention as this transfer program, right? This team that, uh, and not just in the NIL era, you know, it's always been Jim Laranaga's MO is you get polished players. This team is, Jim Laranaga still develops guys really, really well. I mean, there was a, oh, stat, yes. a stat going around and there's a lot of reasons for this, that this is the first final four ever without a McDonald's all American in it. Right. Um, and you look at Miami across the board and, and they recruit well, but like Isaiah Wong was like a outside the top 50 as a recruit. Um, he has been developed. He was good as a freshman, but he's gotten obviously better and better every year. Um, he's an old school college basketball success story. Uh, you know, the NIL stuff, can cloud that a little bit, but he is an old school college basketball success story. Wuga Poplar, another guy who was, you know, not a top 50 recruit. Right. Um, and yeah, I remember a couple of games I covered for you. I think it was last, I guess last year around winter break. And every time I would cover a game, he would like be the, like everyone would be cleared out and he'd be in the gym still shooting by himself. Oh, he loves shooting. Wuga loves shooting. Yes. Yeah. Like an he was hour, always the hour last plus thing. after a game. After a game, he's, he was always shooting. Yes. He's an old school development story. And then even a guy like Jordan Miller, who came in last year, comes from George Mason. He was a good player at George Mason. Um, last year, he was a role player. Like he was very much a role player last year. Yeah. He was the fifth best starter. Him mm-hmm. and Wardenberg were the fourth, fifth best starters. And now he's like a star, a legitimate star. Um, even his two-year run here, he has developed a lot. And uh, that's what I think is so great about this Miami team is that they have both, you know, won in the, not just the NIL era, but the transfer era that the Jim Laranaga always won in. But they had, the foundation is still multi-year guys for the most part. Like Nigel Pack is, is really good, but the foundation of this team is, as I mentioned, Wong and Miller and... You know, Pack obviously kind of won them the Houston game in a lot of ways with his, what do you have, seven three-pointers. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's also Wuga Poplar. It's, you know, like you said, Bensley Joseph, those bench guys have gotten better and better. They 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 have ha- they have that old school college basketball style in the same way, you know, it's similar to a school like FAU, I would say. Um, you know, honestly, everyone in this Final Four kind of has that. We're, we're, none of these guys are one and dones. Obviously, it's the, the, the McDonald's All-American thing. Um, but also it's not like the one transfer who came in and totally elevated the team. Miami used transfers to augment what was already a pretty good core. Right. Which, which he's always done. Shane yeah. Larkin was a transfer. Kenny Kaji was a transfer. Trey McKinney Jones was a transfer. Angel Rodriguez, Sheldon yeah. McClellan, Charlie Moore. I mean, he has Jim Laranega has a long list of transfers. He really likes adding transfers to a group. He likes having a couple older players and uh, that's been his that's been his M.O. all along, way before NIL. You know, today I wrote about. Yeah, the national media that's where I wanted going, to go next. But yeah, keep, keep going. Yeah, here. the national media just I mean, these guys are here for the final four. And, you know, the first question to every person pretty much was about the NIL deals. And did it affect their locker room? And what's the relationship between Isaiah and Nigel? Was it fractured by the NIL deals? And and, you know, the answer is no. I mean, it really wasn't. These guys have gotten along the whole time. And this team was, you know, they made the Elite Eight last year. They made Sweet 16s, you know, before there was NIL. They, they've they always had transfers, but NIL, as I said to somebody, Coach L is the reason that they're here, mm-hmm. not NIL. Coach yeah. L. <laughs> yeah. Right. And he he was doing, I mean, the NIL, 
first of all, the NIL thing is so goofy to me where Miami has become the poster child of this when like all the schools have NIL. Does. I know everyone it's, does. It's crazy. I mean, maybe everyone Miami's... does. Armando Baycott has and everybody has NIL deals. I'm sure these UConn guys have NIL deals. They even said that one of the walk-ons on the UConn team has an NIL deal. So everyone has NIL deals. It's only because John Ruiz announced $800,000 over two years. And when that number got out, the entire country jumped on it. Yeah. But and meanwhile, is- meanwhile, like right around the same time, um, uh, I'm blanking on his name, uh, from Kentucky, uh, their big man, uh, he threw like a two and a half million NIL deal. Um, right. Huge Oscar Sheboy. Oscar Sheboy. Like, Oscar, yeah. Like it's. It's so funny how Miami has become the poster child of this, um, especially because their best player is, I mean, I guess it's because Isaiah Wong was wrapped up in it, but it's not like he was a transfer. Their best player was a guy who came to Miami uh, as a freshman and has been here ever since. By the way, his, by the way, his final two schools were Miami and UConn. I know, I saw him talking about that Yeah, I'm going to write that. I'm going to write some of that tomorrow, but he went and visited UConn and that was his, that was his second place. And, and Dan Hurley talked about it. He said, um, he said Isaiah Wong was a heartbreaking distant second. <laughs> and he said, I think you get a sense. I think you get a sense during the visit, whether you're going to get the gold or the silver. I think we always felt we were a little behind, you know, and then he talked about how much they wanted him. They really, really did want him. And he really, really likes Isaiah Wong. And Isaiah considered, you know, his family's from New Jersey. Right. And he considered, I mean, UConn and Miami were his two finalists. Yeah. Um, so the other thing I want to talk about this Miami team is it's the it's the reason that I thought they could not win a national championship. It's the defense. And they're, mm-hmm. still, you know, across the season, their defense is mediocre. Even in the tournament, they're giving up 75 plus like every game, basically. But as we talked about last year, last week, they won the Drake game with their defense and they kind of did it again against Texas. Um, Marcus Carr got dinged up and seemed like that played maybe a role in Texas. Uh, slowing down at the end there too but again Miami locked down on defense down the stretch Texas which was torrential in the first half um, again it would be unprecedented for Miami to win this championship with the way their defense has been all year long but I think their defense is good enough right now Uh, certainly they're considering the way their offense is playing Um, but what have you seen from the defense you've been there you've talked to them they've been able to win games with it which is not I, I can't you probably count on one hand the number of times they like did that in the regular season. And, and maybe it's even zero. I can't remember a single time when I felt like they won a game by like stringing. They clamped down. Well, yeah, I mean, that Texas stretch. game was though. They really did. The they Texas did. Game. So what, what have yeah. you seen? Like, what, what has been different where they seem to figure something out there? Certainly. Uh, I don't know. I mean, they're, they've always, you know, they're they're They have very active hands. You know, they like to disrupt the passing lanes. Mm-hmm. You know, they, I mean, they've always been like that. They like to get steals. Um, and I think, I mean, I also think they just tire guys out too. I think the the pace of the game by the end of the game, I think that the other, you know, they, I think the other team gets a little tired and they can capitalize on that defensively, you know, um, you know, I don't know. He, he went to the press briefly in that, in the end, I guess it was in the Indian, it was in the Indiana game, right? Yeah. Where they went to the press. Yeah. But they don't do that very often either, you know? Um, I don't know. I mean, the, the, the rebounds, you know, Norchad O'Meara is obviously a premier rebounder. So there's that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know that they're doing anything very much different than they've yeah. done. All I, season. I, I think the, the, the 
fitness or whatever you want to call it, like the way they wear teams Damn down. They, they really seem to have like, they've obviously been a fast paced team all year, but I mean, you could really feel it, especially in that Houston game that like Houston had the number one defense in the country. Yeah. And Miami poured it in against them and they just ran like they, yep. you could tell the game plan was like, just don't let that defense get set. Anytime right. a ball was deflected, even if it wasn't a steal, guys were going the other way. Um, you know, sometimes it's it's a gamble, but they create a lot of points in transition off of that. Oh, um, yeah. And it feels like, you know, and, and really the Drake game, Drake kind of bogged it down. And, and that was, I think, the struggle Drake there. Drake was the best. I mean, Drake had the best game plan against Yeah. Them. Miami and every other game. And again, Miami won it by going to the press. And then you said, as you mentioned, they did again, again against Indiana. Um, when they can control the pace like that and they're really they're tough to, to keep beat, up I think. with and they've, they're and they've hard to keep up with in this tournament that has been i think what and again i think the houston game is where you felt it most because it was clearly the game plan it was like every time someone gets a hand on a ball we're going um and you know again like houston just couldn't stop them in that game not because miami was shredding their half court defense but because they were getting run out layups and, and all that kind of stuff um so they i mean that's they know their identity so well that's what i think jim laranaga you know I know people like will quibble with his offense being like really simple, right? And like they don't run anything. It's all ISO. Like, uh, but the one thing that I think, you know, obviously one thing is college kids like that. Like, but they the other thing is just, they know they know he their identity. He empowers them. So well. He lets them run the they, sh- and the, but they know their them. identity so well. Where, uh, and it's a fun identity to play. So maybe it's like uh, how hard is that? But they know that their identity is like we're kind of crappy on defense. Let's just run, 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 um, and we can pretty much beat anyone because we are faster. We have to play four guards all the time, play like right. basically five guards sometimes if, if Norchad gets in trouble. Right. Um, and it, they're really tough to keep up with. It's, it's different. It's, you know, no, you know, you look at the way teams play on the other side of the bracket where San Diego state is all defense. It's all plotting. Uh, FAU obviously is a seven footer in the middle of everything. UConn is a seven footer in the middle of yeah. everything. Miami, yeah, I is think very Miami's hard to Miami's hard to guard. They're yeah. hard to guard, and most teams have never played anybody like them. They have to get used to them, and and uh, you know UConn's going to have an adjustment too. I mean, you know they all said the right things. All the UConn players yeah. that you know this is the best team that they're going to play all season, and you know um, it's you know they're they're good. They're really good. They're very athletic and they're, they're just so fast. And, uh, you know, they put a lot of pressure on you. So I don't know. I think it's anybody's game. I really do. Yeah. I I think both games, I honestly, I think both games are pretty close to toss ups. Um, Miami UConn is very interesting because of all both games, actually contrast of styles where UConn's best player is a seven foot two way center who blocks feels like five shots a game. Um, and Miami's center is six, seven, six, seven. And, <laughs> and they play four guards and they're going to run all over you, but UConn's obviously got some really good guards and wings too. Um, you know, I, I don't like want to make predictions necessarily and analyze the matchup too much, but, uh, because it's hard to, you know, these tournament games are, are so strange, but oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it feels like a total toss up in, in both of these games. If they've and, already beaten the number one seed and the number two seed, you know, Miami had a tough they beat a number one seed. Yeah, they beat everyone the said that everyone said, you know, the much. best yeah. defense in the country. They were they were allowing 54 points a game or something. And Miami scored what 85, 89, whatever it was. Yeah. They've beaten all different styles of teams, too. Yeah. 
Yeah. So they've beaten a one, they beat a four, they beat a, you know, a two, different styles, big. You know, people thought they were, oh, they'll get maybe they'll get past Drake, but they won't be able to beat Indiana. And then they beat Indiana. And then, yeah. well, well, Houston now with their defense, you know, they're not gonna be able to, you know, de- they'll shut them down. And they didn't. And then Texas was a team that was more similar to Miami in ways, and they found a way to win that one too. So I don't know. Anyone who thinks that they know really doesn't know. I yeah. mean, yeah, I mean, I've been, again, I was skeptical of them having a chance to go all the way just because of the defense. I mean, their offense has been electric, one of the best in the country. Their defense is mediocre, ultimately. Um, I was worried about the Indiana game because of the size, right? And, you know, in my bracket, I had Indiana winning that game because I just was worried about how Miami was going to guard Trace Jackson Davis. Right. They had a great game plan for him, threw bodies at him and tried to make everyone else beat them. And Indiana, their lack of depth next to him and Jaden Huchifino was exposed. Um, I was, you know, the Texas game, I, I was worried just because Texas kind of felt like a maybe slightly better version of Miami, right? A lot right. of good guards, but yeah. better defensively than Miami. Um, Miami won a shootout with them. Houston, again, as we said, great defense. They picked them apart, uh, by changing up the tempo there. Um, and, and obviously Drake is, it's like kind of funny how close they were to losing in the first round. You could say the same thing for FAU probably should have lost in the first round if uh, Memphis had gotten that timeout that they seemed to call. Um, funny the way these margins work in the tournament. I remember when UConn, when they were a seven seed and won it all, they went to overtime in their first round game and then kind of mowed through the rest of the tournament. It, it's funny how it works, but right now Miami is obviously as, as hot as anyone other than UConn, I guess, who has destroyed teams. So, oh, yeah, they're beating people in this tournament by 22.5 yeah. points. It'll be uh, it'll be interesting because as we've said a lot, Miami never got blown out once all year. So I'd be shocked if it's not a, a close game. And I, I don't know if you want to make a prediction, but I feel you know again it feels very toss up to me. But it's hard to pick against Miami right now. And... It is hard to pick, but but you know everyone picked it. They they have that little saying now: "Don't pick us." You know that's their little motto now: "Don't pick us." And you know no one has picked them for since the Drake game. No- even the Drake game, some people were saying because they thought Nordschild wasn't going to be 100% or wasn't going to play. Right. But people were picking that became a popular upset pick. And, you know, they've, they've ended up, they've been the underdog in every single round, you know, except the Drake game and, and they've won every single game. So nothing would surprise me. I would just say nothing will surprise me. They're going to have a bigger crowd um, for Miami than they've had, you know, for any other road games. I mean, I'm hearing you know, between five, 8,000 people are going to have already bought tickets and are flying mm-hmm. there. So, um, you know, it could end up being as many as 10,000 Miami fans, which would be unbelievable. Now the place seats 72,000. I know. <laughs> so 10,000 is not going to look that bad or, I mean, not that good or 5,000, but, but still for Miami, they're going to make some noise. Miami fans are loud. There yeah. aren't that many of them, but they are. I, and I don't, it's not, I mean, UConn's got a huge fan base, but huge, huge. But I, I don't think, but I think everyone else there, you know, like you got that, I would guess the FAU people are going to be rooting for Miami. Oh, Miami so. people are I, think, be rooting for I FAU. think both of those like, teams will root for each other yeah. to beat each other in the end. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and honestly, the final four games, it, the crowd kind of is never a huge factor again because those buildings are so big so and cavernous. Big. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a very unique environment. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, um, again, I'm, I'm not picking against Miami anymore. I've picked against them a couple of times in this tournament. Um, in my own mind, we don't publish predictions or anything, but uh, hard, to, hard to pick against them at this point. Um, you were at press conferences today. Um, just quickly before, I want to talk close out with the women, but first, no. just 
I don't know. What were like the the couple biggest topics of you know all the, the team big, press conferences say? What stood all out the to big you? Topics most? to be honest for UM, one of the big topics was the NIL. You yeah. know, the, the national media. I mean, they loved asking about the NIL deals, so that was a big thing. A lot of history with Coach L. People love yeah. to ask him about history. Yeah, this is like his coronation. Like we've talked about, like his Hall of Fame credentials. Like he's in now. I think he's yeah. he's locked it up. This has yeah. been his coronation run. Yeah. So a lot of talk about his George Mason run in relation even to not only to their run, but in relation FAU. to FAU. It's so similar. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, in FAU, he talked about how that run, they were an 11 seed. No one thought they were going to do anything. They thought they were going to get crushed in the first round. Um, so he talked about George Mason quite a bit. He talked about just how how happy he is and how he has no desire to retire whatsoever. He said, I am having the time of my life. Uh I'm on top of the world. I'm going nowhere. He said, what could be more fun than hanging out with young people and doing what you love? And, you know, he was just, he was in such a good mood, such a good mood. And, uh, you know, Dan Hurley talked about how last year he thought that lack of depth is what caught up to them, you know, that they, they weren't quite deep enough. He thought they were good, but not quite deep enough. And this mm-hmm. year they do have the depth and their big guys get a rest a little bit, whereas last year they didn't. So, you know, he talked a little bit about that. And then for the Miami and the FAU, especially, there was a lot of talk about having two South Florida teams yeah. in the final four. And what does it mean? What does it mean for my, for South Florida basketball? What does it mean for the areas? It can increase recruiting. You know, I mean, I do think definitely having two teams in the, in the final four would make some recruits look twice and say, hey, you know, two teams from this region made the final four. So if you're a kid from Florida and you're being recruited by FAU in Miami, I, I think you're going to maybe take a look maybe more than you did before. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, Miami, this whole area, Fort Lauderdale, Palm Beach, they've always just been considered fertile football ground, but yeah. never really basketball tradition. Uh, very few here and there. Tim James, you know, James Jones. There have been yeah. a couple of Miami guys that have Miami roots, but to be honest, this current Miami team zero, doesn't have Miami yeah, players, players on players. it. Yeah. 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 Well, I'll tell you what, there's, there's one pretty good, uh, pretty good recruit or actually a couple pretty good recruits playing at uh, Columbus, uh, not too far away from Miami. So uh-huh. um, you have to think this is a, uh, you have to think Cameron Boozer, the number one player in the class of 2025. Is, oh yes. We know the name to this. So um, yeah. Well, FAU, I saw that we were, uh today dusty may kind of locked up an extension there that that's it's what is the vibe around fau because uh obviously this run is simultaneously as i I wrote the other day out of nowhere but also like not surprising this team was ranked uh all year or not all year but quite a few times throughout the season miami only beat them by two usa yeah miami beat last year if they end if they do end up playing each other they played each other in November of 21 in Boca. The place was sold out. Their fans were going crazy. And Miami needed a buzzer beater to beat yeah. them. They beat them by two, like 68-66. And FAU was really good, yeah. really good in that game. And I remember this year when FAU made their run, and I asked Coach L about FAU's run, and he said, let me just say I'm really glad we didn't schedule them this year. I <laughs> yeah, I mean, they ran through Conference USA, which also has two teams in the NIT finals. Right. Um Beat Florida at Florida. I know they beat Florida. Florida. Was that was the first year, like but... thing. When yeah, they beat it was Florida, like the it was third like... game of the season. Everyone yeah, it was like, really oh. early, and everyone was like, yeah. "Oh, FAU just beat Florida." You and know? and I think they have ten winning seasons in their program history, and five have been the five with Dusty May. Yeah. Um, so 
you know, when a team goes on a run like this, it can go one of two ways, right? Like a George Mason, they never, you know, they, they got to the tournament a couple more times. Then Laranaga leaves. I think they're on their, about to be on their fifth coach or fourth coach since he mm-hmm. left. Or you can go the like Wichita State way where you do that. And I think the next season they went undefeated in the regular season and we're a one seed. Um, what What's your sense? Again, you don't cover the team, but you're, you're up there. You pay attention a little bit. Can they can they turn this into something more sustainable? Like they seems like they're gonna try to commit to. Well, Dusty the fact May. that he's staying, I think yeah. the fact that he's staying is they're huge. definitely gonna if get one more leaving, year out of him. If if he were leaving, you know, then you're starting over and guys may leave and whatever. But if they, you know, making the final four, no matter what happens on Saturday, I mean, for that program to make the final four and keep the coach, I mean, yeah. that's that is huge. They can build on that. I mean, if they they can build on that, they really, you know, I, I mean, it's it there's. They're an interesting team and people do love South Florida. I mean, if you're a kid and you're being recruited by I love a their school, court with the palm trees, it's great. Yeah. If you're you're being recruited by some school in, you know, Illinois or Michigan or Wisconsin or whatever, and then you come down to FAU to Boca Raton yeah. and you see the palm trees and you're near the beach and all that. I mean, that's a pretty cool place. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, the, and honestly, their closest analog is is Wichita. If you look at what Wichita did the year that they went out, it came out, I think they were a nine seed and, and went to the final four. Mm. Um, they finished that year number 17 in Ken Palm. That's what FAU is. Obviously, they rolled through a, a league that was probably a little underrated, um, just like FAU did. And, um, you know, put up a ton of wins. If they win the championship, that's 37 wins. It'll only be the that's, second yeah. well, that's 37 win champion ever. Jim like, said that's today, yeah, Jim number. said. Yeah, Jim said today you don't win 30 games in Division One. You know, you don't win 30 games unless you're really good. Yeah. You know. Yeah, 37. So. There's only been one other team to win 37 games in a national championship ever. And I think it was the 38 and 0 um Kentucky, like the the Rick Patino Kentucky team. Uh-huh. So uh yeah, it's been a really, really long time. Yeah, I mean, I think good things are ahead, especially with him staying. That's really big. Okay, let's close out real quick with some women's basketball talk. Um, I was kind of worried about them in the Elite Eight against uh, LSU. Uh, yeah. That team is really good. I kind of don't understand how they were a uh, two seed, when, but they have two losses all year, and they're both South Carolina. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, awesome run for them. We talked a little bit about it last week, just what this can do for the program. Um it's definitely the stamp. It's the biggest validation the program's ever had. To, as we said, filled the one kind of big void on Katie Meyer's resume. Um, where where do they go from here? What what what's next for this program? Well, you know, they have almost their whole team back. Yeah. I mean, they they could if 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 the twins both you know if the twins decide to come back, uh, you know, they're losing Destiny Harden, but um, they they have a really good team coming back. Yeah. They have a lot of players who can, who have an extra season with the COVID thing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> All these athletes get a second and, you know, another extra season. Um, I think again, Katie, I would think it's going to really help recruiting the fact, you know, how far they went, what they did with, with Indiana on their home court, yeah. what they did with Villanova, you know, they got national TV exposure and won really exciting games at the end and showed, you know, their fortitude and how gritty they are. And Katie Meyer showed her personality a lot. I mean, I heard some, some sports writers who don't really follow women's basketball who were following the men's tournament, but they were watching the women's game and they were, you know, asking me questions about Katie Meyer because they really liked her personality in the press conferences and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think the, the, the amount of exposure 
that that program got getting that elite eight run, you know, that can pay really big dividends going forward, you know, with, with recruiting and just with overall exposure, maybe with attendance. Um, I think it's, I think it's really big. I think it's, even though that loss was brutal and, you know, destiny had a rough game and everything, but um, she was, you know, she was a killer in yeah. so many games this year. And the reason they were there was largely because of her. So I know she felt terrible, but she had a great season and she's been a warrior and that team was just a plucky, gritty team, you know? Yeah. So, and, I, and I think the thing I like about that team is, well, one, as you mentioned, they could bring a lot of the team roster back and that would obviously be an analog a little bit to the, what the men's team has just done going to the elite right. and the final four next year. Um, but the fact that like, yeah, it was an underdog run and kind of came out of nowhere, but also like they stacked wins against good teams all year long. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's obviously in women's basketball, really, really hard to crack that. The other, there's still a gap between the stand or the uh, South Carolina, um, you know, Virginia tech this year, though, is a team that Miami beat. Right. right. So um, there's still a gap between, I think like South Carolina, LSU, um, Iowa this year, Iowa, yeah. Caitlin Clark back, Caitlin Clark. Who could come back, um, you know, Maryland, Stanford, like there's, there's still that upper, upper echelon that's hard to crack, but Miami has beaten teams in that tier. Yeah. Um, not, and not just this year. It's always kind of been Katie Myers thing, right? Remember they beat Notre Dame a couple of years ago. Right. Yeah. Notre they Dame have big was number wins. one or number yeah, two in the country. Yeah. Um, but they have never stacked it together like this. That's, that's the encouraging thing to me is that they, you know, that they're capable of this. Um, not just because we saw it just for a, a flash in the pan here, but we've seen it over and over again for the last couple of years. Um, and now they've strung it together in a way that uh, they had never had before. Right. Yeah. So it's going to be fun next year. I'll be curious to see. I hope that the fans will still keep coming out. I mean, well, this... yeah, I, I just tweeted about this. I'm very interested because we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, I think after the regular season wrapped up, just how good that crowd was and how the students really, really bought in. Um, right. And the student section was packed every night. Um, I mean, obviously, if Miami wins it all, like oh. that, it's going to be sold out all year long next year, like pretty much. Except maybe like winter break. So. Or, I mean, winter break's always hard off, to pack. The send even, off was really exciting. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I had been, I had been when when they uh, when they made the Sweet Sixteen, um, you know, back in 2013 and stuff. I went to those same send offs with the little bus in front of the Watsco Center. I'm not kidding. There were maybe 20 people. Oh, I mean, even last year, I was at one of the them last year, and there was there I mean, was they, nobody. Yeah, it was you know, it was just like some staff standing there with some pom poms. Yeah, and 20 this people. Was completely, yeah. This is completely different. This was. Yeah. This was a friend. This looked like a, a legitimate, bona fide ACC basketball yeah. team going to the Final Four. You know, it was which is what they are, and it's it's which cool is to what see they it are. Yeah. It, it took a long time, but that is what they really are right now. That yeah. Duke is not there, Carolina's not there, Virginia's not there. University of Miami is in Houston. Yeah. I can attest to it. I saw them with my own eyes. And, uh, and it's happening. They're playing in the final yeah. four on Saturday yeah. night. We'll see I mean, what happens. And honestly, the path is open because you mentioned like Duke and North Carolina not there. Well, Coach K is not there anymore. Roy Williams right. isn't there anymore. It's Jim Laranag and Tony Bennett. Like that is yeah. that's it. Those are the only two like great coaches I think left in the ACC. Jim Beheim's not there. I don't think he's been great the last couple of years, but obviously right. has that same kind of resume. The ACC is 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 open for Miami to kind of run it. I think them in Virginia. I mean, Duke obviously is just going to have talent every year. Right. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'll be really interested if Miami loses Saturday, 
what the fan support the the community fan support is going to look like next year because um mm-hmm. i know it's hard to get to coral gables but it's also a metro rail like it should be good next year i think i'm, I'm already excited for next there's season. there's plenty of people who live <laughs> in coral gables and pinecrest and south in the dade land area and you know yeah. there there's there are enough people there to to fill that stadium. Yeah, a lot easier to get there than uh whatever we're calling the heats arena these days right for all those people so <laughs> Um, right. All right. I've kept you on for too long. Uh, you got to go get dinner. Uh, it is I late. Um, thanks for doing this, Michelle. Uh, enjoy sure. your weekend there. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty jealous that you're going to be there for the final four. It should be a lot of fun. Uh, you can follow Michelle on Twitter at cough sports. Be sure to follow all of her coverage from Houston. Uh, there's a lot of it, obviously. Um, you follow me on Twitter at DB Wilson too. I've been stepping in for Michelle at the Miami Open this week, which is usually yes, her, you've been her doing baby. Great stuff. Really uh, good I, stuff. I'm a sneaky tennis Open. guy, so I've been excited. I, I I like going like watching tennis. I'd never been to the Miami Open, so oh, it's, it's amazing. Nice yeah, I really, love that. Really cool. One event. of the bad things of this run has been missing. missing I mean, I've been Open. covering that yeah. event for like 30 years, so I, <laughs> I love I love that tennis event, and I and I have missed it. I really well, you've had a good reason. I think I think you you've come out on the the strong end of the uh are you covering who's covering the men's final uh susan i'm doing the women's final she's okay all right sounds good Um, all right let's close out there thanks as always for listening and we will talk to you guys next week